The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, a podcast focused on helping geotechnical engineers stay up to date with technical trends in the field. I'm your host, Jared Green, and I've practiced as a geotechnical engineer for over 17 and a half years. And in addition to practicing engineering, I enjoy mentoring young engineers and first-generation college students. I have focused on helping to increase the number of pre-college students that are interested in STEAM majors and fields by STEAM, that's science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. In this episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with none other than Ms. Joanna Smith, a geotechnical engineer with five years of experience in areas of pile design and inspection, technical writing, project management, and leadership. Such a young age, she had an enormous amount of success in her career. And in this episode, we'll be talking to her about her career success and the things she's done to help engineering students succeed and women to succeed in the field. Before I tell you about our guests, I'd like to let you know that Engineering Management Institute, the publisher of this podcast, has several civil engineering related podcasts. The newest, This Week in Civil Engineering, is coming out very soon. It will be a short weekly podcast with all the important news in the world of civil engineering. You can find all these content channels on the Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment page at cement.media. That's cement.media. I'd like to formally introduce our guest, Joanna Smith. Joanna holds a BS in civil engineering from Morgan State University and an MS in geotechnical engineering from John Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. She's a well-traveled geotechnical engineer, and she's worked in Wisbiden, Germany, Cancun, Mexico, Jamaica, West Indies, Washington, D.C., and she currently works in New York City with AECOM. She's currently the geotechnical lead for the $1.9 billion Hunts Point Interstate Access Improvement Project. She's also a member of the Women in Deep Foundations Committee and the Ground Improvement Committee of the Deep Foundations Institute and she is the ASCE Metropolitan Section Chair of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee. I would say Joanna is very active, and that's not all she's done. Joanna has also founded Daily Smith Incorporated, which is a STEM program as well as a musical experience. As a musician and engineer, she believes that music and math intersect and build confidence and technical skills. From her program, her students have excelled in math and science, and have been successful in getting into the schools of choice upon excelling in auditions. Engineering is truly something, she says. It teaches us so many lessons and gives us so many perspectives, not only from the past and present, but also to the future. And with that, let's jump in with our conversation with Joanna. Joanna, welcome to the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. We are honored to have you on the show. I just went through your bio for the listeners. Wow, you are busy in the geotechnical world. How are you feeling? I am feeling great, Jared. Thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor and I appreciate it. I'm doing well. Well, I'm glad that you were able to carve out some time in your schedule. 
to be here on the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. Jonna, in your own words, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what you do at AECOM on a daily basis? As a geotechnical engineer, um, there are various facets of my field. And so I can kind of speak to a little bit of design for the most part on various types of projects, whether they are airport projects, designing different foundations for that. Also designing different foundations for resilient projects. I know we had a project out in Hamilton, um, and we had to do some rehabilitation there. Also looking at the geotechnical field investigations, which are very important at the preliminary stages, kind of uh, are seen throughout the geotechnical program. That's very important. And, and the geotechnical investigations are not only just going out into the field and actually taking a look at the soil conditions, but also writing the reports, operating somewhat as a geotechnical project manager, I like to call it. You are um, involved in the various stakeholders, the clients on the ACOM side and also within the field and outside of the field. And so it's definitely a niche. However, there is various different types of aspects of, of engineering that's involved. And so it's not just doing one side of the work, but also working alongside different individuals. And so your communication skills and your soft skills, as well as your technical skills, are all a part of the development of, you know, leading out in the geotechnical field. Part of that is what I do and also getting involved with um, different organizations within geotechnical engineering, which is also very important within AECOM for me, not only um, like Deep Foundation Institute and ASCE, but also um, AECOM's aspect of geotechnical engineering, where we are a global company. And so we are always, especially for myself, I'm always looking to see how I can um, incorporate the geotechnical engineering persons in the Americas and also internationally and be a part of different projects, not only in the United States, but around the world. As far as geotechnical engineering, there's a lot that you could do within the geotech world. There's a lot you can do within the civil world. But what is it that drew you to geotech? I would have to say it was the hands-on part of everything, right? Well, I guess more for like civil engineering. When I thought civil, I always thought structural. That's usually how we were taught um, in school. There are various aspects of civil. But it seemed that everything was kind of by the book, very manual-based, kind of sit down in a cubicle and, and do calculations. And I am a person that loves to move around. Um, I love to kind of have my hands in uh, different aspects of things in order to create this wholesome approach. When I think about that, that's kind of like my outlook on, on geotechnical engineering. Yeah. And why I got involved in geotechnical engineering, because it wasn't just manual, but it was also a lot of field that was involved, as well as, you know, being in the office as well as speaking to the clients. And so I was really able to see a well-rounded view of my career versus just kind of staying on one side or being in the office, really. Uh, so I would say the hands-on approach to geotechnical engineering is why I decided to take that route. It looks like it's working out well for you. I understand that you're currently the geotechnical lead for the $1.9 billion with a B dollar Hunts Point Interstate Access Improvement Project. That sounds like a huge responsibility. Can you tell us more about that project and what you're doing? What I thought was really interesting about the Hunts Point project is that I am from the Bronx. I'm from the Northeast Bronx, 
Uh, however, you know, South or North, it's very important to recognize that you're able to use your degree and impact your community. And you're getting paid for it. So that's even better, right? That's a win. That's a win. <laughs> that's a win-win, right? I developed many sentiments through this project. Karen Armfield, who was my superior at the time, was very helpful in taking me under her wing and teaching me some of the very important aspects of managing a project, especially within the geotechnical side from doing the bids to getting it awarded, which are actually some things that I learned while I was on my internship in Germany with Army Corps of Engineers. So it's kind of interesting to see that through college, you know, doing um, internships also impacted what I'm doing now. And so I was sitting on those boards with the Army Corps and I was choosing the subcontractors based on, of course, the numbers that we were getting and also um, their capacity to do the work and, you know, their performance and just different um, subsets of a checklist that we had. And so to see the same thing kind of happen here at AECOM was very helpful. And so I went from managing MATOC and JOC projects, which is job order contracts and uh, multiple order task contracts um, in, in the core that range up to uh, from 500000 to a million dollars. Now I'm managing, you know, a $1.9 billion project. So um, it was really interesting to kind of see how these things kind of move together in terms of saying, okay, well, this is the internship that happened in 2010, but 10 years later, now we see, you know, the real offspring of it and, and, and what has come forth from it. This project as well is a rehabilitation project. And so we are filling different aspects of Hunts Point in terms of filling in uh, some of the embankments that are there right now. We are also moving in terms of an exit ramp and an entrance ramp. We're changing the locations. We also had uh, GPR um, surveying to do there as well because there's an under uh, a tunnel that's running underneath the ground, a subway tunnel. So these were uh, some major things that I was working with. Um, also, the geography, we're right next to a fault line right there. And so there are parts of, of this project where rock can be found at five feet. And there are parts of this project where rock can be found at 110 feet. And so we can see a drastic change at the fault lines. Also, the, the type of rock changes as well. We have schist. We have quartz over there. We have inwood marble. And so you can see where the plates are, are kind of interconnecting and you can see where the fault lines are changing. And so this project was very challenging, was exciting, lots of, of time schedules and, and constraints here. We were, I had approximated finishing this job, I would say phase two in two months, they wanted it done in a month. How do we condense this? How do we make sure that we are hitting the location that we need to in terms of pair locations and what is most necessary in order to, to have this contract awarded and for the contractors to be happy with the information they were getting so that we get a decent price right off. This project has definitely been one that I've learned from a lot. Um, it's definitely been one that has allowed me to grow as an engineer and also as a leader. And for that, I'm definitely grateful. And you hinted at what you were doing in Germany. So as an intern, I understand that you were responsible, you were working on projects where you were rehabilitating uh, military structures in Germany with the Corps? There were definitely different structures that we were working on. Um, I remember I was in Ramstein, Germany. Uh, we had also got to visit um, General Kip Ward, who was a four-star general in Stuttgart, Germany. And he was definitely very receptive to us. It was about uh, seven of us who had gone out there. Um, it was a very rigorous selection process. 
And I was the only one who was able to work in the installation support branch, as well as working on some of the fiscal year uh, money that we had and, you know, looking at how we had to get that money allocated to projects before the year was out or else the money is gone. So these were some of the building blocks, I would say, that allowed me to be able to do what I'm doing now. We often talk about the importance of getting an internship and how you know, an internship can help you to get a full-time job. But more importantly, it kind of gives you an introduction to what it looks like to be an engineer. And it sounds like you made a great transition from now, 10 years from after your internship, you're actually doing that on the mainland, which is awesome. The publisher of the podcast, the Engineering Management Institute, they believe in diversity and inclusion. And from what I know of you, you've often said you're passionate about diversity and inclusion as well. Can you tell us more about how you strive to improve diversity and inclusion in the civil or geotech world in your sphere? We have to start at our hiring uh, management levels uh, for the most part. And I'm going to kind of speak about that. And also, I call it the pipeline effect. And I've been having these conversations with um, some of the executives within ACOM. And it's really been great to be a voice and an advocate, especially at this time. I want to speak about the hiring process simply because I think it's important for us to develop relationships with universities internationally. And it doesn't only have to be, you know, as I said, it can be international. It can be also in the Americas or wherever you'd like it to be. But universities are also diverse, just like how they're diverse in the type of subjects they teach, you know, the scope of work, the intensity of the different subject matters that are taught. They are also diverse in you know, ethnicities and the way different people think because they are from different spaces. And so I think it's very important for us to look, uh, creating partnerships with different universities and also creating partnerships with the different diversity programs that are in these universities. When I spoke about Germany earlier, I was a part of a program called AMI, and it was American Minority Interest in Engineering. And that pro advancing minority interest in engineering and that program was very helpful for me because of the opportunities we had. So I went to Morgan State University. At Morgan State, we had a plethora of opportunities available for us. That Army Corps of Engineer project was also in um, Hawaii. It was also in North Korea. Um, it was also in a few other places. I know it was in Germany because I was there. But it was pretty much an international you know, affiliation. And so I think that when we are purposeful and intentional, these words are very important in making sure that we advance those spaces, then we can definitely create that within our environment. So that's very important. And I think that's definitely something that we can do moving forward. And I can do moving forward as, as an advocate and as I have been advocating for. Um, so I am working alongside some of the executives and it's definitely been a great time to be at ACOM, especially within this time frame. I'm talking about the pipeline effect. I think this is also very important. I'm not sure how many schools are or how much of corporate America is involved. I'm sure we have a few companies that are, but I think that working on the middle school level and also the high school level is very important where we are getting into the schools, whether it is being a part of a STEM program, I would say at least try to impact maybe 500 just within the first five years, right? Different offices have maybe five regions within the Americas or whatever it is. Say, hey, we're going to adopt 100 students over the course of this five year for each region. And, you know, that's definitely something that would be great to put your name to, not only just for what it would look like, but for the impact that it's having on generations forever, really forever. 
and it's really a way to leave a legacy. And so that is what I think is very important in terms of looking at diversity and inclusion. So because of that, and because of my love for that, I created my own company called Daily Smith Incorporated, which has a branch of, of STEM as well. And so I'm going to be pushing that forward this year and for years to come within our communities. So apart from that, I'm also the uh, vice chair, not the vice chair anymore. Look at me. I'm still in last year. I'm now the chair <laughs> of diversity and inclusion <laughs> for ASPE for the metropolitan section. And that's very important, uh, I think, you know, to be able to diversify the scope there. And really, I think it starts with conversations as well. And just having these conversations of, hey, how can we make sure that we are creating a space? How can we make sure that we are doing our best to advocate for ourselves and to also have other colleagues that are speaking on the behalf of, of moving and pushing excellence forward all together with what it looks like of any skin tone, um, of any hue, but we are really looking at the talent and, and the capacity that everyone has to add value to projects and just to life in general, especially engineering from, I call it the worldview of engineering, right? Uh, that's really what it is. So that's my outlook on diversity and inclusion. It's great that these conversations are happening now. Um, you know, some people call them courageous conversations. Other people call them difficult conversations. But it's good that we're having the conversations because, you know, as engineers, especially as geotechs, a lot of times, you know, we pride ourselves in, in being problem solvers and, and dealing with challenges. But a lot of times as engineers, geotechnical engineers, we need the given information first. And it's like, as we start to talk about diversity and inclusion, if we're not willing to have these conversations like the ones you're having with your executive team, we can't truly have change. So it's, I'm glad to hear that those things are happening. And I know that mentoring is something that's been, that you've been passionate about. And if I understand correctly, you've mentored students from elementary school all the way up through like pre-college. And I believe that mentorship is truly important. The reason why I've had the successes that I've had is because of my mentors. Can you tell us more about what mentorship has been for you and you know, as a mentee or a mentor? Definitely. I mean, I can speak from both aspects, actually. I, I'll speak a little bit from the mentor standpoint first, because being the young woman who everyone kind of looks up to, whether it's church or whether it's school, just me being the one who's out of the box. That's not in a bad way, but I'd say not necessarily conforming to the norm or whatever that really means. It's affording me many opportunities and just really being myself and really saying, hey, you know, if this is something that you want to do, you should definitely go out and do it. But I think especially within geotechnical engineering, I tell my friends all the time, my music students, they're all going to be engineers. They don't even know it yet. It's really just about speaking to the greatness that you have within you. So this supersedes the aspects of engineering, right? It's really just speaking to the greatness that you have within you. What is it that you really like to do? Who is it that you need to uh, link up with and, and who is it that you need in your network? And really going and speaking to those people. For the young people that I work alongside, I actually have a young man who was also doing piano with me and he's a civil engineer. And he was so excited. He was in high school. I think he started doing piano with me when he was 16. He's excelled. He's done an amazing job. And now he's working at different spaces and getting paid for it. And these are different things that help him to go through his civil engineering, you know, college. And it's just really great to be able to talk to him and say, hey, you should join ASCE. Hey, I think you should try to lead out, you know, in, in NSBE. Or, hey, I think you should be a part of 
the ASCE bridge program that we have going on, or we have internships coming up, be a part. So it's, it's really great to see how you can bridge the gap that way and really just teaching and just saying, hey, I think that you're great at this. How do we go forward and how do we become the best at that? So that's what the mentoring aspect has done for me and also done for my students. It's really taught me patience as well. It's so funny because sometimes I don't think I'm that patient. The parents say, you're so patient with them. I'm like, really? (laughs) But it's really that I just want them to recognize the greatness that's in them. And I want them to be able to move forward on whatever footing it is, engineering, really. I saw that pun. I see what you did there. So in terms of being a mentee, I've definitely had the opportunity, and I'm really grateful for that, to be mentored by some really great people. I would say I have some veterans in my company who have been there for a very long time and who have great insight within the engineering field. And I remember working alongside some women and women in deep foundations, and uh, their outlook on mentoring was that you should have at least seven mentors around the world. And I said, I believe it. The biggest thing for me was when you're crossing time zones, you're doing something. And what I've recognized is that the mentorship that I've been receiving, some of them have been local and they have been um, starting out and they still are. I would say um, Ms. Karen Armfield, Ali Mohammed, who's in my office as well, Giselle Pasalakwa, there's some, some folks on my team. Mr. Jared, he doesn't even know it, but just watching him, you know, and, and, and that's the thing about mentoring that's really interesting. Sometimes we think that someone has to kind of like, we have to be shadowing them all the time, but sometimes just someone's life is just a witness to you of where you can go and what you can do. So that has been very helpful for me, um, I would say internationally, and also just moving over into different, I have a, what a, I shouldn't be shouting my mentors. I don't, I'm a little stingy with that. But I'm going to shout one more out, Miss Marcy. Uh, I don't know if you know Marcy, she's an ASC as well. She's definitely been a great mentor. She's a geotechnical engineer as well. I remember meeting her at an ASC conference that I presented at and um, I saw her on stage and I was assessing everybody who was talking. I ran, I was like, that's her. I don't know what it is about her, but I know that she's going to be in my life forever. And when I spoke with her over the, the duration of time, you know, she told me that she had ran two companies of her own and, you know, now she does nothing but C-suite. And I said to myself, I see that. I see myself there. I see myself in you. She's also an athlete and um, she had gotten into a really bad accident, but she came through and had done a marathon after that. And, you know, it's things like that. Uh, when we think about mentorship, it really is a worldview. Um, it's really speaking to persistence. It's speaking to resilience. It's speaking to continuing to go on. It's speaking to overcoming challenges and strength, really, and the power that different individuals have. Because the truth is that you don't necessarily need a, a mentor in your field. And I know I just kind of spoke about all geotechnical engineers. So clearly, I'm, I'm working on diversifying my mentorship. You got plenty of time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's so funny. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's really about people around don't necessarily have to be in your field to mentor you. But the positivity and it's the ability to continue to grow forward, even when things don't look as, as nice or look as great or look as promising as you expected, but just knowing that you will do better, you will be great, and you are great, and really manifesting that greatness within you. Um, so that's really what mentorship has done for me um, and what mentoring really means to me. 
I think that one of the powerful things about mentorship when it's done right is that you see the mentor, you see the mentee. And then like you talk about that pipeline, you it just continues, right? So you started an organization. You said Daly Smith Incorporated. And if I understand correctly, it takes STEM education, but also ties it with the musical experience. When you were acknowledged as one of the new faces to watch in ASCE, and I was looking at the list. I was like, whoa, shit, I know her. And you were talking about the tie of music and geotech and engineering. Tell us more about that, because I think it's fascinating. And let us know a little bit more about your organization. What's really exciting about this is that I found that a lot of engineers are musicians. I actually had a friend who was a physicist at IBM. Upon speaking to him, he was telling me that he's a trumpeter. Uh, IBM had produced an entire CD of only IBM employees that created a whole CD of music. It was phenomenal. thought I was the only one, but then it definitely made sense to me because music and math go together. For all my musicians out there, when you think about the scale, right, you have 12 scales. And if you're not a musician, just listen up, right? You have 12 scales. They're major scales and they're minor scales. So everything has one and almost like an inverse of each other, right? So, you know, you think about differential equations, you think about just a fraction, you think about something to the negative one power. All of these things kind of speak to a derivative of something. And you think about frequencies, you think about pitch, those are all numbers, right? Measured in hertz or measured by a sine graph or a cosine graph. So all of these things are really, they really interact. You think about pitch. When you think about the number scale system, it's an octave, oct, right? Prefix means eight. And when you play and you keep going up as you, you know, you land from one to the other. And so the same note C to the next C, there's eight notes in between them. And so you start to see a pattern once again, same thing with math. It's really interesting to recognize that when you start to put chords together, it's a number system. So you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And if you want to play a chord, you play one, the one, the three, and the five. And so there you go. Boom, right? So all of these things really allow you to start to think critically. And so a lot of pianists or folks who have taken music or even piano teachers will tell you, you know, everyone's not going to be a pianist. Everybody's not going to be like a concert pianist. Everybody's not want to, is not going to want to play on stage or play for events. But what it does for you is it definitely works on the critical thinking um, portion of your mind. It's definitely not only that, but it's great to be able to show your talent. It's definitely music is a, is a language, almost like, well, not almost like math, right? It's readable. It's something that transcends your regular ability to speak or to understand a language. If somebody says five or six in another country, unless they write differently, they can identify that, right? And so it is the same thing with music. If someone was to play gospel or play Bach or play Franz Liszt or something, you can definitely say, wow, that's beautiful. It's definitely a universal theme throughout. There is a, um, a joining there of, of both of the sciences and the arts together. And what I've recognized, especially in my community, is that I see a lot of um, this innate gravity towards the music. But when we come to the science and the numbers, sometimes it's not as strong. And so for me, this is uh, one of my mission here, I know, uh, to be able to bring those together so that it's fun and it's exciting. And so when we start talking about the sciences and we start talking about combustion or we start talking about fuel or energy or putting stuff together, hey, I want you to build this, it will start to bring some understanding like, oh, in music, we, come, we put this chord together. And if we put that together to make that sound, 
then in some way, shape, or form, I can put this here, or I can construct this object, or I can create this calculation in order to, to yield this product. That's my standpoint. I think it's definitely something new. I've been doing my work, my homework, and trying to find books on music and math. Um, I know Herbie Hancock has some information on that, and he has a whole program, but he's Herbie Hancock. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> but I'm finding it a little difficult. It seems like it's an untapped zone as of right now. So it's definitely something I'm doing, and it's been great. Many students have been excelling in their, their mathematics and their science practices. Um, they've also been doing well in their abilities in being accepted to different schools that they were interested in being accepted to. And so it's great to see that when you have a passion for something and you act towards it and you create a solution for it, it really does happen. And it really does start to kind of bring life to itself in the areas of what you would like to bring life to. So music and math are definitely integrated. They move together as one. Great to see that. I remember math classes as a kid. I remember math classes in high school and college. And it's just this stigma attached to math. Sometimes it's like, oh, it's hard or it doesn't make sense or it's not tied to reality. And it's just like, those are false notions. But to tie it with music, it's like, wow, you went really deep there with the chords and everything. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I'm excited to hear about those connections that uh, you're sharing with the next generation. You have a quote in your bio that we shared earlier that I just think is so powerful. You said, engineering is truly something. It teaches us so many lessons and gives us so many perspectives, not only from the past and present, but also for the future. Can you share with us a little bit more about that quote, which is heavy? I mean, that's not like Hallmark stuff. That's heavy, right? But you know, share a little bit about where that's coming from. And then also let us know if there's a, an important lesson that you've found in your career that's helped you so far that you want to share with our listeners. I think that'd be worthwhile. At least for me, when I think about engineering, I really think about the analysis and also the synthesis of something. So the breaking down of something and, and building it back up. When I was younger, my parents would... But I was always like the tomboy of the family. I wasn't really the girly girl. It was funny. I remember I used to pop my sister's doll's heads off and um, let them blow in the water. <laughs> and it was so, the funny part about that was even in me doing that and trying to fix them back, I remember that I was always the one that could braid my hair. You know, if I needed to sew in or I wanted to braid, you know, expenses, I would do, always do it. And my sister, who was playing with all the dolls and combing their hair, and she never, she, <laughs> she was not the one to be hands on like that. And so, you know, it really kind of showed me that as you look to how the mechanics of, of something works, or as you look to figure out how things come together or how they break apart slowly, you start to understand the fundamentals of that object or of those things. When I speak about engineering and the lessons it teaches us, I'm not just speaking to, you know, our geotechnical calculations or our design for a foundation or our design for a skyscraper structure and the manuals. I'm also speaking to the engineering of how, if you want to think about basic things work, right? Like, okay, well, basic in my head is building things. So if I wanted to build a gate or I wanted to build a fence, what's the first thing I'm going to do, right? These are the basics. Uh, what's the first thing I'm going to do? And when I think about that, I think about children. So 
a lot of the times I think that we complicate everything. And really, everything is really just based on basic engineering. So we know that unless we're speaking to Future City and the floating city, and maybe even there, we have to have a foundation. And that foundation needs to be strong enough so that, I mean, hopefully we're not in an earthquake simulated area, but we're just going to leave that there. We're not in California today, but we should be able to create something that can stand on something for a certain period of time, amount of years or whatever it is. And so that is really the engineering. How can I make this work? How can this stand? How can the integrity of the state? And that will allow us to see how it's done now. But then when you look to the, the historical aspects of it, you say, hey, how did they do it before? If you don't want to reinvent the, the wheel, right? And that's usually what people do. They do their research. And so when you think about that, of the basics of something, how did we do it before? Okay, well, how are we doing it now? And then for the future, how is this going to impact our generations, right? So even the engineering of saying, how does math and science and the music work together? That engineering might have been something that they've done years ago that I don't necessarily know about. But how is that going to impact the future? It's going to create leaders. It's going to create new thinkers. It's going to create a generation of people that recognize and understand the strengths that they have within them, not only just from building things, but also building their generations. And so the engineering of that. And so I love speaking like this because it really speaks to the larger perception behind what engineering is. So when we produce things, we also produce people. We also produce new ideas. We also produce new thinkers. And that's really how we create the generations that we have now. And that's really how we create excellence over time. So that's just a little bit of kind of where that was coming from in terms of the depth of that and the root of that, really. Different things that have engineered <laughs> uh, my path. I really think that you know everything in my engineering career really boils down to just persevering, just to keep on going. And just recognizing, I remember uh, we had a talk at ASCE, a roundtable. I thought it was so interesting. Someone mentioned their engineering career almost as a jungle gym. And so we don't necessarily think of it as being linear at all times, right? Because it may not be. At least for me, I know it necessarily hasn't. It may seem like that. But I remember that with the way I got into geotechnical engineering, I was doing a job with Clark Construction and I was assistant superintendent. It was great. Once again, I had that that outlook of doing everything. I was doing the man hours who was on site. I was watching the column pours. I was doing the drawings, checking the orientation of the columns. And I was working alongside a geotechnical engineer that started writing up pink slips. If the bento seal wasn't put on properly and the tie backs weren't weren't done to his liking. And I was I was all one like, no, 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 no. What else do we have to do? And I remember it was Ramadan and it was so hot outside. And we had such a great conversation, but he was telling me, you know, he didn't eat because of it. I'm like, well, maybe that's why you're so cranky. You're just, just writing up all these things. But that's how I got into geotechnical engineering. And it wasn't just because, well, I want to say that's how I got into it, but that was really what sparked my interest. I would say wholeheartedly to say, okay, well, I'm going to go into this field. And I say that story just to say that it wasn't that I was necessarily doing geotechnical engineering the whole time. But I was interested in construction and then I kind of went into geotech. So it's kind of like, you know, this jungle gym type of outlook of saying, hey, this was great. I might like this right now and I may like this right now. And I'm still going to stay in the field because once again, it's a wholesome approach. Everything is interconnected. I was just watching a video actually that you put up and I just want to tell you thank you so much for 
the content that you put up on LinkedIn, they're not boring. You know, sometimes everything just seems so dry, like some rocks and some sediment over there, like all oh, the metamorphic rocks that all there, like geotech, like, <laughs> you know, but um, when you put something up about, it's, it's called Six Figures, No Suits. Might be saying that incorrectly, but I, that's pretty much the concept. So just really speaking to, once again, the unconventional way of engineering. And so these folks are out on the construction field and I was really excited because I saw that they were doing a deep foundation design using post-tension cables and they were done at an angle. And what was really exciting about it was I said, oh my goodness, it's construction, but they're totally doing a deep foundation design, <laughs> right? But they didn't have to put geotechnical engineering, but I'm just speaking to kind of like, once again, this wholesome approach, how everything is really interconnected within the engineering field. So that's really my experience with that quote and also with just what in the whole engineering aspect has done for me within looking from the historical part of this to the present and also to the future. So with that, we're going to come back in just a moment to close out our interview with Joanna and our career factor safety segment. Stick around. All right, welcome back. It's time for our career factor of safety in segment. In geotechnical engineering, just like many other disciplines of engineering, it's important to incorporate a factor of safety into your design. But what about incorporating a factor of safety into your career? So today, of course, we speak with Joanna Smith. Joanna, with all that you've accomplished and all that you've been involved with, one would have to wonder, how in the world does she keep from burning out? It's obvious that you must have some type of great time management and planning skills. Tell us, how do you manage to give yourself factor safety against burnout and do all that you're doing? Please share with our listeners. These guys did not ask me to do this, but I have a planner here. And my planner has like a day here. It tells you like, what can you be grateful today? What are your tasks? And then it gives you like time slots. So I'm old school. I still like to write things down as well as, you know, put things on my Outlook calendar. But when I plan my days out by using the time slots, it definitely helps me to manage my time a little more effectively. I'm going to just tell you a little bit about the difficulty of that part of things. What happens sometimes is that you have to remember how much time it will take you to do a certain activity. And so sometimes you may, if you're like me, my sister laughs all the time. She's like, you build these schedules that are so strong. It's ridiculous. <laughs> strong, not in a good way, but maybe a little bit of this overachiever type of uh, mentality going on here. I would say for myself, what I've recognized is, okay, it might take me five or six hours to do this, or it might take me three to four hours. So I try not to be too strict on myself and put something for two hours that I know would take maybe three or four. That has been very helpful in terms of keeping my time slot. Also, I would call it the carry on, carry over work. So sometimes in this time slot, you know, you're also, at least for me, I'm looking at the priority of this task, if you will, or the priority of this goal, right? And so if it's something that I can do for maybe two hours or an hour, for that day and then kind of keep it going on throughout the week until it's done, that's definitely something I do as well. Also, what's very important is to tell yourself where you want to be. So if you're not as focused, you say, I am focused, right? You kind of repeat this stuff to yourself on a regular daily basis. This is called um, 
positive talk. And these things really help to brainwash you in a good way. Positive self-talk definitely helps you to be where you want to be. So that's definitely something I use as well. Um, And it has definitely been very helpful for me, as well as writing the tasks and goals that I have down, as well as prioritizing them based on when they are due. That has been helpful. And of course, using the Outlook calendars as well. If the task seems as though it may be a little bit overbearing, I definitely think it's helpful to have someone who can be an accountability partner, even if it's a friend like Jared, or you might have a coworker or someone who, you know, you can say, hey, I know I have this to do. Can you, you know, just check up on me and make sure that it's done? If so, and that's maybe for the younger persons coming up in their careers or the older, depending on how your friendship works with your different coworkers, managing your time by writing it down and by also um, speaking positive words to yourself um, help you to get the work done, uh, especially when you have a deadline, but especially when you want to make sure that the clients are happy and that you are happy with the work that you deliver. So that, I think, is a factor of safety charge there in terms of being successful and in terms of being able to get your work done on time and also building camaraderie with your friends and, and the community of engineers that you have as well. Joanna, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you for sharing the great insights that you have. And thank you for your service to the the industry as a whole and to your community, our community, I should say. You've shared some great information and advice that I know is going to help our listeners. Where can our listeners find you? You can find me at my personal website, which also speaks to my STEM program and also my music program. My website is Joanna, J-O-A-N-N-A-G, my middle initial, uh, Smith, S-M-I-T-H, dot com. That's it. So uh, joannagsmith.com, you can find me there. If you're on Instagram, you can find me at Joanna Smith. If you want to check out my music page, you can also find that at Daily Smith IMC on Instagram. And if you're on Facebook, you can find me at Joanna Smith on Facebook. And if you're on LinkedIn, you can find me at Joanna Smith on LinkedIn. Those are some spaces you can reach me. And I'll be definitely happy to have a conversation, talk to you, whatever you need to move life and inspiration along. Thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, your comments, and your questions. Please feel free to go to the website, which is geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com, where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, that being episode four, as well as links to any resources, websites, books that are mentioned in today's episode. Until next time, We wish you all the best in your geotechnical engineering endeavors. Peace. The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the host and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineers, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.